Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we combine a love of movies and television with not a lot of actual expertise about movies or television. Uh, I'm your host, Joseph. With me is my co-host, Christian. How's it going? This week, we're going to be doing a, another director showdown. This week, we're picking two kind of modern directors, guys who have had a lot of critical success, but also just a lot of, like, not not, not even just commercial success, but just, like, large cultural impact yeah, with sure. their movies. They kind of have, like, followings, I think, each of them. Definitely. Of the people who are not like us who watch movies, they're probably two people who know, like, the names of those directors. Yeah, they yeah, may yeah, not yeah. know who a bunch of other people are, but they know these two guys, and they know they want to see their movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be doing David Fincher and Christopher Nolan, uh, and I think we're, our, what we're going to try and do is, is break down some of their most notable and, and culturally impactful movies and uh, compare and contrast and come out with a winner. How does yep. that sound? Yep. Definitively, who is better between... Definitively. Uh, I think we're going to start with David Fincher and uh, kind of give a breakdown of his total filmography and then go into our specific favorites yeah. and kind of talk about career prog- progression. Uh, a little backstory about David Fincher. He's from Denver, Colorado. He worked for ILM for a long time. Uh, he worked on Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Uh, ended up leaving ILM to direct music videos, which if you liked music videos like in the early 90s, he probably directed the So one, many music videos. Um, with a ton of different bands. But then in uh, 1995, he made the big transition into movies uh, with a little film, little indie project called Seven. You, you might have heard of it. No, uh, no. has something to do with a box or something. <laughs> something. What's uh, in the box, though? What is what is in the box? <laughs> uh, then kind of it's a little mixed, kind of still doing music videos, hadn't really made the full transition into film. He directed The Game. 1999, his other next big hit was Fight Club, uh, starring Brad Pitt as well. Which probably has, of the things on this list, probably has the most staying power, I would yeah, argue. it's very, very popular. Then uh, Panic Room, Zodiac, which is a movie I really, really like. Very, very good. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Which I did not know that he directed until we started researching this episode. And it's not very good. It's uh, okay. It's just real long. Then he went on a stretch of things that I really, really like. Like his next three or four movies I'm a big fan of. Uh, the Social Network. Yep. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gone Girl. And his last thing he's kind of been in charge of was uh, Mindhunter, which is a show on Netflix. He didn't direct all of it. I think he was the showrunner on the first season. He did direct a few of the episodes. And as if you listen to our news podcast earlier in the week, he his next project is World War Z2, going back to that money pit of Brad Pitt that he cashed in on so frequently in his yep. earlier in his career. Uh, so I think we are just going to like pick out you know, some of our favorite films going back to his career, starting with Seven. Yeah, no, I mean, Seven, I feel like, it, I mean, it is his first big major mm-hmm. move. Well, actually, that's not true. Alien 3 was his first big Yeah, major we don't movie. count that one. We don't really. Because it's really bad. Yeah, poor, that's that's a, another story for another time, but essentially he, uh, he kind of got pulled in to pick up the pieces and nobody really expected a lot of them. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that movie is particularly good or remembered well. Didn't Joss Whedon write that movie? He wrote three or four, one of the two of them. Uh, I can't remember which one. Yeah, either way, they're both bad. But uh, anyway, it, it was uh, he made a lasting impression enough to continue a career in Hollywood for sure. Um, but yeah, no, his first big directorial effort was Seven, which is uh, the movie about two detectives, kind of the the young plucky Brad Pitt and the grizzled vet- veteran uh, Morgan Freeman, which was kind of an early Morgan Freeman just playing Morgan Freeman role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the beginning of the... it was tracking down a serial killer. What's his face? Can I mean, we... isn't his name John Doe? Yeah, no, I was trying to think of the actor. Oh, Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's specifically targeting and committing crimes in kind of a, a thematic 
methodology in keeping with the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is like Saw before there was Saw to me. Because like if you go back and watch the first Saw movie, it's very much a like a murder mystery film. I mean, okay, yeah. And uh, this is more particular in the way he kills people, but it has the same kind of like... Before Saw was really like gore porn or whatever, it... It was very, there are these killings, and there's two detectives that are trying to figure it out and mm. solve the case, and uh, there's some uh, there's some pretty disturbing stuff in Seven. Um, I can 100% see Jigsaw existing in the same universe. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Kevin Spacey's a crazy person in he this is. movie. I mean, it turns out he's kind of a crazy person in real life, yeah, that's but true he, he plays it really, really well. He tapped into that well. He did. <laughs> Yeah, let's see what is is this also early Brad Pitt? What is it? I think this is it's not the earliest Brad Pitt. Yeah. But it is uh it's right up there. I mean, I would I'm not gonna say it's the thing that kind of like launched him off, but yeah. but he it's probably the first thing where he's like the lead. Mm-hmm. And the whole cast is good. The movie is it's a really, really well made film, and I think it still holds up today. Oh no, it absolutely holds yeah. up. And I it definitely starts off a bunch of a bunch of specific David Fincher qualities that he maintained throughout mm-hmm. his career. You know, you 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 start out with this, like you said, kind of like a, a dark, bleak universe. The 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 world everything in the world is kind of darkened. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is tinted a little less colorful. It it also very much speaks to his attention to detail. I don't know if you know this. But um, at the very beginning, it's an opening sequence is they, they're going through like the killer's notebooks mm-hmm. um, and it's just insane scribbling stuff. David Fincher wrote every single one of them. Really? <laughs> he wrote like hundreds and hundreds of pages of like not even single space. I mean, like yeah, each letter really is like written. rubbing up against the other letter. Uh, of not just like random words of like fucking i mean it, it's Dark crazy things yeah it's like yeah. crazy person notebooks that would be written by a crazy person but it also takes a crazy person to sit down and fucking write one yeah he may be a murderer it, the color thing is a very david fincher thing when For you sure. see a david fincher movie you almost automatically know it's his because every all everything is kind of muted yeah and and I mean it it fits into this world specifically because you're you're kind of in dark grimy places mm-hmm. a lot places like old buildings and it's rainy um, but even in some of his later movies where you're in different settings like it's still even in like what would be considered kind of nice places everything still seems a little gray yeah gray and and dirty and and like yeah wrong mm-hmm. one of the other things I feel like this movie does really well and and uh, again it's it's something that David Fincher as a whole does well is it's just it's very tense. From beginning to end, he he's very good at keeping tension in each individual scene and holding the tension of like the story. There always feels like there's a running clock. Yeah, um, I see that. And, and you constantly feel the tension between these two characters who both want to solve this crime. They all both have their own ideas on how they want it solved and and like should go about it. And like you said, I mean, it's, it's just a really good film. Yeah, I, I enjoy this movie. It's it's both really well made and really entertaining. And. Uh, yeah, it's just uncomfortable, the whole movie. Which Absolutely. I, which I think kind of takes us to the next one. Fight Club is also pretty uncomfortable, the whole yes. movie. Um, I don't I don't love this one as much as, as other people do. I, I think there are good performances. Ed Norton and, and um, Brad Pitt are both excellent in it. Helena Bottom Carner, isn't yep. she? Uh, Meatloaf. Yes. Is in this movie? Jared Leto's in it. Jared Leto. Uh, Gets his face beaten in. It's, uh, again... It kind of, you could argue, it lives in the same world that oh, Seven does. Uh, it's dark, grimy places. Everything's kind of dirty and wet mm. all the time. Um, a little more colorful than some of his other movies. It certainly has a flair to it. Mm. Very quotable. 
Very cool. I mean, well, that's the thing. This movie, I feel like, and I mean, it's based off of a novel by mm-hmm. Chuck. I can't pronounce his last name. Yeah. Uh, starts with a P. Yeah. I feel like this movie is, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like the symbol of male college age. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> guy. Uh, I mean, not only just the fact that it's on, like it's, it's the poster next to Scarface and, you know, whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever else, but I'll just, also just kind of like the general philosophy of the mm-hmm. movie, which is kind of the, the world and the societal structure is bullshit and it's holding us down. And there were a lot of these movies in the 90s. Yes, I don't especially know. Especially the late 90s. Yeah. And we had a good in the late 90s, but we didn't even know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know why it was, it was like the, the, the whole 90s movies are all like the white man, like the, yeah. the middle class white man's plight. And it's like, yeah. what is your plight? Yeah. You had it really well made in the 90s yeah no this movie is like uh i think you hit it right in the head it's it's like the everyone's mandatory watch when you're pledging for a fraternity yep it just was yeah this like angry white dude takes on the world and it was very prevalent in that time period in a lot of movies and this movie probably does it the best but definitely i, I don't really care for that theme <laughs> sure and so i just don't really like that movie i i, I enjoyed the cast i enjoy kind of the one-liners the twist is okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the twist is really effective. I mean, I don't know if you can go into it not spoiled now, but I think it is really effective in the movie. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about this movie is um, the main character has bad insomnia, and so it le- leads him to, you know, kind of like daydreams and hallucinations and has difficulty, like, keeping track of time and, and, mm-hmm. and being aware of, like, what's awake and what to sleep. And David Fincher does a really good job of cutting between scenes, using camera tricks to, to kind of illustrate that you're, he's awake, but he's not, like, all the way awake. You know, yep. like, like things cut really fast and... and you know, there, there are bits of time, time missing. Yeah. And and you as the audience member, and that's the thing, he plants the seeds really well for it, and it's, it's kind of a spoiler for this movie, but also everyone knows the spoiler. Uh, you find out that Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, is it's kind of like a split personality yeah. of Edward Norton that comes out when he's sleeping, I guess? I don't really yeah, know. Yeah. But the 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 seeds are planted in the movie all the way through i think yep. it, i think it really rewards you in your second or third time watching you it you can see it because you can see yeah. all the signs leading you to know that and i mean it, that this movie makes me suspicious of any important character that doesn't interact with other characters mm-hmm. besides the main character it ruined that for me like mr robot is fucked for me yeah yeah <laughs> from the very get go but it's very clever filmmaking to both like it, it's it makes for an interesting story like it's an interesting way to tell the story and, and visualize kind of this insomniac's mental state um but it also i mean it's intentionally but mm-hmm. but later you realize it kind of subtly plays into an important plot element and you know an important twist in the movie um that i think is very clever well i think you i mean this would be the last thing i kind of say on this movie but i think you hit, like his attention to fincher's attention to detail is so incredible that everything is important yes. in his movies and especially in, in fight club like you're talking about when you know the twist and you go back and watch it you see all those little details mm-hmm. and they were kind of almost minor to you mm-hmm. the first time you watch it and you go back and you know the ending now you see the importance of them uh and uh, probably a director who isn't so like minute and and cares so much about the little things probably wouldn't be able to pull it off as well definitely the next one on the list is is zodiac i don't remember what year that came out so yeah, it came out in 2007. 2007. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal and... Bunch of famous people. Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo. Yep. There are more, but I'm drawing a blank right now. But Yeah, I am too. 
those are the big three, I think. Uh, this is an excellent movie. It is an excellent movie. It is about... Almost underrated by time comparatively to some of the other ones yeah. on this list. He's a reporter, right? Yes. Uh, obsessed with the Zodiac Killer and trying to you know, solve all the clues in the paper and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I just want to pause and say, thank God I didn't live during this time period because I would have been scared. Yeah. This is, a, this is a real thing that happened yes. <laughs> not that long ago, and they never caught it. Correct. Uh, it, so, very scary. And, no, the, all the performances are great. This is just a good movie. It, it is. It holds up so well. Go watch it. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like uh, like you said, there there's so much attention to detail in mm-hmm. these movies. I mean, so this movie takes place in, I think, the 70s. Yep. Speaking of Color Palette, this is also actually one of his more colorful mm-hmm. movies because I, he took a, a great deal of effort to make sure everything was... was time period appropriate yes it feels very 1970s it feels super 1970s uh, one of the things that i th- i think is very striking about this movie are the the zodiac killer scenes where you mm-hmm. see him like do the murders yep because every single one of them they're not like shot like they're a horror movie they're shot very normally mm-hmm. and, and that's what makes them almost scarier is because it feels like you know with, with a horror movie there are specific shots there are specific music cues that you like you understand how the tension builds but in these it's almost like it's just a part of life right right it's it, it's it feels like at any point in your life when you are just hanging out or doing a specific yep. thing and then suddenly someone comes around and shoots you or stabs yep. you and it's terrifying. I just I think that was a really specific and interesting choice on on how to do those scenes to make them the most effective. I think he also got probably two if not the best Jake Gyllenhaal performance of his career. I mean, it's certainly up there. Yeah. Him and Mark Ruffalo both are they're outstanding in this. I movie. mean, Downey Jr. is also outstanding. Yeah, he is. I just think those, those, I remember like being so impressed with those two guys in that movie. But uh, I, I really like this film. Uh, one of the other scenes that I, I think is again, it, it I really think showcases is the uh, the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal thinks that he's going to. I don't remember if he thinks he's going to meet the guy or that that he thinks might be a killer. Or if mm-hmm. he's going to like ask about somebody else, and then if he, he like as he's talking to the guy, he. He starts checking all these boxes, like mm-hmm. the, the yeah. clues started checking yeah. the boxes in his head of like the things they know about the killer. And then the guy says, you know, I have more things in my basement. And he's like, you know, there aren't a lot of people in California who have basements. It's like, I do. And like walks <laughs> down there and yeah. it's the creepiest, yeah, yeah, tensest yeah. fucking scene like in the world. And it's, it's just, it's expertly acted. It's, it's expertly crafted and shot. And uh, I, I really, really love a lot of things about this movie. Yeah, and, it's great. Um, You're right. It's going kind of like time forgot almost. Yeah, absolutely. I just briefly want to stop on Cur- Curious Case of Benjamin Mutton because I didn't know that he directed it. And I don't think it's his strongest work. But now that I'm thinking about it, is it just me or is Curious Case of Benjamin Button kind of like the David Fincher version of Big Fish? Oh, that's 100% what it is. <laughs> and to me, Big Fish is a better movie. Agreed. I would say Big Fish is Tim Burton's best movie. But it's just like, it's really long. Yeah. It's, it's really so slow. And I just don't, like, I just don't care. Like, that's this fine. guy ages in reverse. <laughs> yeah. It's a dumb plot. But they meet in the middle. <laughs> anyway, it's fine. Next on the list is what I might think is his strongest effort, which is the the social network. God, this movie is way better than it should be. This movie, I I really think this one should have won Best Picture I the agree. year that it came yep. out. One of, one of my friends said that it does such a good job of kind of like encapsulating the spirit of a generation. I mean, yeah. I, and I feel like it, it it is kind of like a story about like the millennial generation. Mm-hmm. It's directed by David Fincher, written by Aaron Sorkin, scored by Trent Reznor. It's kind of an 
all-star uh, production yeah. group there. I mean, as with any Aaron Sorkin script, it's the dialogue is sharp yep. and witty and fast. Yep. Um, and Jesse Eisenberg kills it. Like, look, I'm not a big Jesse Eisenberg fan, yeah. but he delivers Aaron Sorkin lines the way Aaron Sorkin lines should be delivered in Absolutely. that movie. Um, I, well, I, you talk about the Trent Reznor, was Atticus Ross, Atticus something, whatever, who, yeah. the, the guy who he did it, scored with, uh, that's a great score mm-hmm. to that movie. Uh, it's one of the few kind of like modern scores that I bought the album and, yep. and I still listen to regularly. Great cast, Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, uh, Army Hammer, mm-hmm. that kid from Jurassic Park, the boy from Jurassic Park, that's the other roommate that they live with in their Interesting. dorm. Interesting. Yeah. If someone were to say, when I remember like reading about this movie before it came out, and it was like, oh, they're making a movie about how Facebook was born. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound interesting at all. Yep. And uh, I I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you. It should have won Best Picture that year. I I watch it at least once a year. I mean, like I'll be bored and I'll know what I'm going to do at home. I'm like, I'm just going to watch Social Network. Uh, it's a it's a it's a great movie. It's an excellent movie. The more um, we talking about David Fincher, I'm like, God, I'm like. I like yeah. 99% of what this guy does. And this is another one where we talk about, you know, we were comparing it to, like, Fight Club or Seven. It's a movie that takes place fancy places, you know, mm-hmm. like like Harvard, you know, like executive boardrooms. Yep. Um, but, again, ev- everything, nothing feels glorified. Everything feels... Oh, no, yeah. Like, Harvard is almost exclusively shot at night. Yeah. Um, every, everything feels, I don't know, just, just, a, just a little bit dimmer and a little bit darker. I think I'm going to watch this when we're done. That's fair. It's a, it's a really, really great movie. Um, and I, I highly recommend it. And the last one I wanted to talk about, David Fincher. Did you have more than one? No, no. Okay. Uh, he's, uh, the only thing I would say with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is I think his Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a, is a well-made movie. Mm-hmm. But the problem with it is, one, it's a remake. And I feel like even though the other ones are, you know, whether you watch foreign films or not, they were very popular for foreign films. Yes. And they're really, really good uh, interpretations of those novels. And so I feel like when his movie came out, while he may be the right director to have made that movie, it didn't feel as new and inventive or even as David Fincher as other things because that property already kind of lent itself to those grimy underworld muted colors kind of stuff. So I, I think... Girl with the Dragon Tattoo kind of gets a worse rap than it deserves, but it just doesn't, it just feels too kind of like bland mm. uh, than compared to his other stuff. It's weird to me because it was fairly successful, but yeah. they, never, they never followed up with it. Yeah. Um, I will say on, on that note, while I was doing research for this episode, there's a great video essay on YouTube called How David Fincher Hijacks Your Eyes. David Fincher is, is notorious for taking a fuck ton of takes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are directors who will get everything in one to three takes. Mm-hmm. And then there's David Fincher who takes no less than 16 and more than 60 or 70 sometimes. Um, and one of the reasons is he synchronizes camera movement specifically with, like, whatever character he's following. So, I mean, if, if the, the person, like, stands up or, like, leans or, like, moves their hands, like, the, the camera will, will pan or tilt or whatever to move with it. Um, and there's a great part in, uh, in that video essay that kind of highlights this and, and really points out how effective it is, mm-hmm. uh, where the main one they use is a scene from A Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, where it's just Daniel Craig just kind of like leaning back in his chair. And it's so funny because it's not something that, that I noticed before I watched it, um, but it is like it's such an effective tool that he uses in all of his movies. All of his movies have this technique in them um, that, that connects you to that character. 
in uh, in a way that I don't think would be as effective yeah. if, if, you know, the camera was stationary or, or whatever. Um, so I just thought that was a really interesting technique that he uses. But yeah, the, the last one I wanted to talk about on this list was uh, Gone Girl with Ben Affleck. And this was just a couple years ago. I love this movie. Yeah. I think I it's exceptional. Did you read the book? Yes. I did not. How was the book? It's good. I don't know. I, the, I have mixed feelings about it. I, I saw the movie first, so I think that... Tainted it? Yeah, it taints my opinion. I think... Uh, I know a lot of people feel like the the book makes it more equal parts fault and less like the the girl is the crazy one. Yeah, um, I don't really feel like it does, but that's that's a common opinion. But I feel like it's it's a fairly faithful adaptation. Mm. This is my opinion. Ben Affleck's role, best role. It is. It's so funny because I feel like Ben Affleck does best because this and Hollywoodland are my two favorite Ben Affleck mm-hmm. like roles, and I feel like he does best when he's supposed to be a bad actor <laughs> that's funny you know yeah. what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. like the whole point of this movie is ben affleck supposed to look guilty as fuck yeah and he does <laughs> yeah well the whole time the whole time even, even though, you, even even though you we know, know. Yeah. That he's innocent you're like i get why people think he's been a bad absolutely guy. yeah interesting choice in this movie tyler perry yes yeah. very interesting choice though good i like him in yeah it. Again, uh, you know, going back to some of the things we've already talked about with Fincher, it's both your quaint suburban neighborhood, but it already belies uh, a darkness in it in the fact that it's immediately post-financial crisis. Yep. And so a lot of the houses are empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even, even kind of this, this ideal, you know, like American dream suburb in like a small town has a creepy feel. And, you know, everything about this movie is just, it's suspicion and doubt. You know, the, yep, those, are, those yep. are just common threads in a lot of his movies. So we just, you know, we follow, we follow Ben Affleck and we follow the police for a little bit of this movie um, in, in trying to figure out what happened to his wife. And, you know, she looks like she might have been murdered. It looks like it might have been named Ben Affleck. They're yeah. trying to collect the evidence. And again, spoiler alert for all these movies. You really should watch this movie if you haven't seen it. It's all these good. movies, it's yeah. very good. But essentially she frames him for her own murder and just gets like it goes off the fucking walls from there yep it gets crazy but again the whole movie blinded by jealousy mm -hmm. that only gets worse and worse as the movie goes on neil patrick harris is creepy af in this movie scoot mcnary's in it for a minute (laughs) very very short the sister uh was proxima midnight in avengers infinity war interesting yep uh, yeah, that's right. She was. Yes. This is a great movie. Oh, uh, yeah. And this was, it, it's so funny. Uh, this is very off topic. We, we were having a very professional discussion about yep. this before we got to this. But I remember in this movie, there's a part where you find out that Ben Affleck's having an affair with uh, Emily Ratajkowski, whatever. Um, and they have like a whole, like, she sneaks in and they have uh-huh, sex. Uh-huh. And like, as I'm watching this, like, I wonder how Jennifer Garner feels about that. Uh, and they divorced like yeah, two months later. It wasn't good. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure that wasn't why. <laughs> he was kind of living it yeah. while making the movie. Yeah. I actually, I had to watch this movie and like, I broke it up. I watched the first half because it is, it's heavy. It's like, very heavy. I was like, I need to stop and process the first hour and 15 minutes of this movie before I finish this movie. Yeah. And then uh, I watched the second half and I actually feel like that, that helped me enjoy it even more because there's not so much a lot going on, but... It's a very dark situation with very morally questionable mm. people. No one is a good guy. Definitely. In this story. And uh, that... Good, good guys tend to get punished in all of his <laughs> movies if, if there is a, another recurring theme. Yeah. That definitely plays into David Fincher's favor. Yeah. N- having moral, a whole cast of morally questionable, pe- yep. questionable people, he handles very, very well. Yeah. 
which I think kind of plays to like that, like, you know, darker side of all of us. But uh, this is a great, great movie. Overall, I, I really, I, I almost forget how much I enjoy David Fincher's yeah. stuff. I almost feel like it's a cliche, but then when we go through it film by film, I'm like, they're, even the ones I don't super care for are still really well-made movies. Like, Panic Room is an okay suspense, mm-hmm. you know, thriller. It's it's more commercial than probably his other movies, and I would say Curious Case of Benjamin Button's the same way as well. Uh, it seems like almost supposed to have a wider appeal than some of his other stuff, but when he's allowed to do his own thing, you're going to get a really good product. Absolutely. He does a lot of tense mysteries in in. in several of these these famous movies and i feel like he does both of those elements the the like the building the tension and like twists and turns and the solving the mysteries Mm -hmm. just about as good as anyone does for sure yeah i'm with you i was going through this i just i want to go back and rewatch a bunch of these movies uh so to move on to our competitor correct in this showdown we have the the vaunted christopher nolan If, if there is a director with a fan base this guy has some loyal most of them are like middle-aged white dudes. Yeah. They just love well, Christopher Nolan I mean, movies. look, that, that's a theme between the both of these. That's fair. That's these are really both fair. directors for I didn't make pretentious white dudes. Yeah. But, you know. Which is why we're talking w- about. Welcome to Real Phonies. <laughs> he's like 48. He's from London. And uh, he's very British. Yep. Uh, he actually hasn't directed. He, and he also looks like Aaron Sorkin. He does look like Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin has like, he's like the glasses version mm-hmm. of Christopher Nolan. Hasn't actually directed that many things. No, we're going to talk about most of them. To run through his filmography really quick, uh, he has uh, Following, Memento, which was really kind of his like uh, jump on the scene, I think. Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, and Dunkirk. Starting at the beginning, I don't really know Following. I, I'm not familiar with that movie. I have seen that movie. Is it's, it good? It's, it's okay. It fits in with the themes of the rest of his movies. Yep. Um, it's about a guy who literally, I mean, he's just a creeper. He just follows people around. That's very common in Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Um, who kind of accidentally ends up following a thief and then decides he wants to kind of emulate this thief and also be a thief. And the thief's got all these ideals about like he steals and he breaks into people's place because it's like a way to, to awaken them to the things that are valuable to them. And you get like an insight into their Mm. life. Um, he's doing them a favor. But then, you know, in kind of traditional, what we find to be traditional Christopher Nolan fashion, you know, there, there's there's also some specific time jumps in between events, and there's, you know, kind of a, a major... And, and it's funny, because th- there's a theme in a lot of his movies that there is usually some kind of twist in his movies. Yep. Uh, and, and the twist in this movie is that the thief guy is playing the following creep guy from the very start and end up just fucking him over at the oh. end. It's not a bad movie. It's definitely like comparatively to the rest of the stuff on this list it's not nearly as polished yeah um but you'd be able to tell it's a christopher nolan for sure movie, or at least you'd think it was by somebody who's really trying to copy christopher nolan well i think that kind of leads us into his next movie which is i think not it's hard for me to say it's it's not the most christopher nolan movie of all time because memento is all of the tropes in a christopher nolan movie being plot points yes. in a christopher nolan movie yes the the crazy like editing and time jumps and all mm-hmm. this stuff is a plot point in Memento. He just happens to do it in everything else he makes. Yes, just about. Just about. Uh, this movie is good. It's I think it almost feels like a movie David Fincher would have directed. That's fair. It does. Um, I, I mean, they have a lot of similarities. That's why we're comparing. Yeah, it doesn't really hold up for me. I've tried to go back and watch Memento a couple of times. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't really get through it. I remember liking it the first time. 
I, I, I do feel like, unlike David Fincher, I feel like Christopher Nolan got better. As Definitely. He went on. Um, David Fincher, I feel like, kind of starts, kind of hits the ground running. But this one, you can, you, like you were talking about Falling, I haven't seen it. But for me, this one is very apparent that it's a Christopher Nolan movie. There, yeah. it's, it's just the things that he likes and things he likes to incorporate in his storytelling are extremely prevalent in this film. Definitely. Um, and, and, you know, like we talked about the, one of the things he and his brother who writes a lot of his movies, Jonathan Nolan, right? Jonathan Nolan, um, are, are very famous for is using a nonlinear storytelling technique yep. to, I mean, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of movies have used flashbacks before and, and, you know, you don't have to tell a story from beginning to end. But very few people use it as like a storytelling device as yep. well as Nolan does, mm-hmm. and I feel like this movie. I mean, that that is the plot of this movie is you're you're watching a movie forward and backwards and, yep. and kind of meeting in the middle. Um, like Guy Pierce is great in this movie. Guy, this is one of Guy Pierce's best movies. Yeah, like you said, I don't think it's as polished as some of the, the rest of the stuff. I don't think it holds up as well, but it is still kind of like a mandatory watch. I feel like again. It, when when you're like 20 years old you have to watch memento <laughs> yeah that's true it's it's also like a requirement but yeah I, I, do you want to just move on to the next one yeah i don't have much else to say about it insomnia uh is one i don't really have a lot of feelings about i, I really like robin williams performance in this movie or insomnia is about two homicide detectives uh, and uh, stars al pacino and it is a dark role for robin williams Al Pacino on uh, is kind of the more is a more level headed role for Al Pacino mm-hmm. than most of his. He's not as as crazy of a person. It, it just feels like a step in the Christopher Nolan career projection. Mm-hmm. Like it just feels it's it, it's different than Memento for sure, but it just feels like a more polished product. Um, this has some creepy shots, like dark in the snow. Like there's like some just it's eerie for a Christopher Nolan movie. I think. Um, I mean, it's about homicide, so that could be why. But I like this movie. I, I I would say I prefer Memento to it, but I think it's a I think it's a more well made movie. What do you think? I've never seen this movie, so I'm oh. entirely banking off your opinion here. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, that takes us to Batman Begins. I kind of thought we might just wrap up the Batman trilogy as, as a whole. whole? Because, I'm down with that. Because the... I have a, I have a major complaint about these movies that okay. most people don't. I, I, well, yeah, I wanted to put them together. I mean, definitely, I think everyone agrees the Dark Knight is, is the standout For sure. of the three. But comparatively to the rest of his ones where he, he takes pretty dramatic, artistic, different directions... Uh, these are all fairly close, which mm-hmm. makes sense because it's supposed to be a trilogy in the same universe. Um, so I feel like we can we can just wrap it all up together. Uh, what's your major complaint about these? Twofold. Uh, number one, Batman Begins is a entirely different universe than Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. That's fair. Um, he doesn't even try in Dark Knight to make him see cohesive besides the cast. The And if you were to say Superman it can't exist in the world of the Dark Knight, I would agree, but Superman absolutely could exist in the world of Batman Begins. The second thing to that is, I'm going to argue that uh, Christian Bale's Batman is not Bruce Wayne or Batman at all. Oh, definitely. It is very much just a movie about a vigilante, and it could have been any vigilante. It could have been a made-up one that Christopher Nolan wanted to be. He's... He, Christian Bale is not a good Bruce Wayne. He's nope. not like a charismatic, like the, the one times like when he plays in the pool, at, yeah. you know, when he buys the hotel or whatever. His Batman is never the smartest person in the room. He's not a great detective. He gets his ass kicked a lot by a lot of people. It just, to me, it's not, I, I get why people love it 
because they're really well-made movies that happen to be about Batman, mm-hmm. but they're not great Batman Absolutely. Movies. And, you know, I, I think uh, you, you're hitting the nail on the head on this one in that this was, and I mean, it was very timely because we, we were just hitting the beginning of superhero mania. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie, like you said, it's not a Batman movie. It's about a guy in kind of a, a pseudo real world taking up, you know, like it, it, it's kind of like real world origins of a superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, and in that way, I feel like this is Christopher Nolan's real world deconstruction of a superhero universe. Like, what happens if somebody were to take up this mantle, were to try and, and, like, be an ideal and do all the things that, you know, Batman begins about? And then Dark Knight is very much about, like, well, you know, how does how does escalation affect it? What are the reactions to this universe when you start putting, you know, the, the costume vigilante? Who, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and each step of the process, I feel like, is a logical jump from the beginning of, of what would happen if there was a masked vigilante guy whose sole job is scaring and taking down criminals. Um, and like you said, it's not a Batman movie, but it, it is. It's really good at that. Yeah. It's just not great at being Batman. It's just really great at being, I think, I think your deconstruction of superheroes in the real world is exactly what the movie is supposed to be. And it does that very, very well. It does. It even does, it even specifically, I would say, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, and I know a lot of people, you know, crap on Tom Hardy's Bane, but I think Tom Hardy's Bane in the same light is what a superhero would look like. It's what would those realistic supervillain look like? Right. You know, what if a supervillain, if that archetype were to exist in the real world, what would they look like? And one is like uh, anarchist, mm-hmm. and one is like kind of an evil genius that, you know, has devoted his life. He grew up in crap, and he, he's devoted his life to destruction. And I think those are both very well translated and in those cases the joker and in and bane's case those are accurate representations of those characters mm-hmm. i think the 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 editing in dark knight rises isn't very good no the time jumps don't work well in that film they're not so present in the dark knight the batman begins has a lot of like kind of switching like from him with a kid and when mm-hmm. he's training raz al ghul and him in gotham and i think it plays fine in that movie but uh, Dark Knight is a fantastic film. I think Dark Knight Rises is an okay movie. Yeah. And Batman Begins is it's an okay bad. movie. I think Batman Begins is a good movie. But What um, about the ones that break these up? The Prestige and Inception. Is, that, is, is Prestige and Inception between the uh, two? Prestige is between Begins and Dark Knight, and Inception is between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Interesting. Uh, Prestige is also, I mean, uh, it's, the, uh, it's the Zodiac of Christopher Nolan's list in the sense that I don't feel like it's, oh, I watch this one a lot. I will. I know you do, yeah. I, but I feel like of the fan base, it's kind of the forgotten one. Yeah, and I didn't know I wanted Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman in a movie. It's together. Batman and Wolverine. Yeah, having magic fights with Nikola Tesla. <laughs> with, Nikola, with, with David Bowie, Nikola yeah. Tesla. He's the best part. Um, so this movie is about two magicians and what? Warring magicians. Yeah, in like twentieth well, century. No, let's, let's say like late nineteenth. Late nineteenth century. Fine. Whenever, Whenever Nikola Tesla, Tesla was alive. Yeah. Um, that should have been our metric. But yeah, it, it takes a fantastical turn. It definitely takes a fantastical turn, uh, which again, main theme of these things. It's also very much it's told from a lot of it's told from the journals. Yes, of, of both the characters, of, of both the characters, and so you know you you kind of jump between times and jump between perspectives. It but, works really well in this movie. No, I mean everything works really well in this movie, but it, the whole movie is it's it's a movie about magic tricks. And the movie itself is a magic trick, and the movie is about 
how movie making is a magic trick. And that's one of the things that Christopher Nolan is also kind of famous for is he likes to weave in parallels and analogs about the filmmaking process into his movies. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about that also in Inception, but the, the prestige is, is in many ways kind of a glorification, not a glorification, but kind of, again, kind of like a deconstruction of, of explaining to the audience how, uh, how a, like a magic trick, and you know, the magic yeah. trick is... is how the magic of movies works and, you know, how to tell a story, but still also correctly performing the trick mm-hmm. that so that it mystifies you. Yes. And in many ways, like, it's, I don't know, it, it, it's such a layered movie, and I think it pulls it off on an exceptional number of levels. I know a lot of people complain about kind of the fantastical element that gets, you know, the, the, the magical mm-hmm. replicating device. But I don't think that that's important. I think it, it's it's a service to a greater concept and a greater plot. I think this movie is an exceptional movie. And my thing about The Prestige, where, where I would rank this movie is, I don't think it's Christopher Nolan's best movie. I think it's the best... I think the tropes work the best in this movie, though. Like, his best work, to me, comes later on. But those things that we relate to Christopher Nolan, the time jumps, the funky editing, the fantastical twists that all come prevalent, work the best mm-hmm. in this movie. Like, it all... The fact that... You know, he has these kind of weird, quirky tropes that, you know, I think people think work really well in Interstellar, and and I would kind of argue maybe they don't. They work really well in a movie about warring magicians, which sounds ridiculous, but when you know this about who he is and who he is as a filmmaker, um, and then you see how it plays out within this story of these two warring guys for popularity and fame. They just work so well. And this is a really entertaining movie. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite Michael Caine movies. Yeah. Um, Scarlett Johansson, right? She's the... I think she dies early on, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, really like this movie. It's very good. Again, spoiler alert. It's got two Christian Bales and a bunch of Hugh Jackman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're a real fan of those guys, there's <laughs> multiple of them yeah. in this movie. What a world to live in. And lots of top hats. Yeah. And then it come to what's probably, aside from the Dark Knight trilogy, his most famous movie, yeah. Inception. It, it's, uh, it's got that crazy ending. You know, a dream within a dream within a dream. It became such a part of the zeitgeist as soon as it came out. Great cast. Fantastic cast. Tom Hardy, Leo, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Ellen Page. Ellen Page. Michael Caine again? I can't remember. Yep. Killian Murphy. Yep. Everyone who's in all of his movies, all together in this stellar cast. The one of the best fight scenes ever to me, which is the hotel. Yes, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it's just like spinning. Right. Um, this is a gorgeous movie. Well, and it's crazy. It is crazy. So this is one of the things that I don't know if he gets criticized for, but all Nolan movies kind of serve the concept of the movie before like the characters of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you barely remember the names of the characters. No, in the none movie. of them. If in, in fact, if Batman didn't, wasn't Batman, you probably wouldn't remember yep. the name of that character. There's no character development. Most of the things it's a char- It's a development of story point or concept. Right. In most of these things. And you know, there, there are pros and cons to that it's definitely kind of different, a different direction than a lot of other filmmakers but i feel like this movie like it it had a very i would consider a a pretty like high concept to to execute and he just fucking nails it yeah it kills it it's it's in it's insane the amount of things that he had to like set up and work out to to do you know the 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 dreams and the rules within the dreams and and keeping track of like you said you know like the reason the hotel's spinning in that one dream is because in in the level above where the other you know the yeah, yeah. The, the the van's falling off yeah, the, it's the like bridge rolling yeah yeah 
Uh, yeah, no, it is. You're right. Yeah. It's rolling. And so, I mean, the, the both the level of concept that you're able to execute and the the way that it's all pulled together to form a cohesive and like satisfying mm-hmm. story. Um, and then you know, it, like it's it's a heist movie. It's a very high concept glorified heist movie. Yeah. Um, and it's incredible. It's, it's great. It's really really good. It makes me believe that he I, I you know cast doubt on the the Christopher Nolan James Bond movie, but the the last level in the snow the bottom level or whatever mm-hmm. that is a james bond sequence like mm-hmm. that screams uh classic james bond it shows me that he could pull it off but one thing that you kind of talked about that i think is really important is in the world building they yeah. do in this it is such almost like a high concept that they are able to translate to you in such understandable terms yeah in very natural feeling ways like this movie has a ton of exposition in it but it doesn't ever feel annoying right that, that it's like spoon feeding you the rules of this world in and, which they live. and the the rules like make enough intuitive sense that you can like yeah you, you accept it. them yeah, yeah and yeah. you and you move right. on with them uh um, it's a great movie it is a great movie and it's another one kind of following up from the prestige where a lot of people have pointed out that the the cast of characters of the heist characters are, are very close analogs to kind of a film production crew mm. where like uh, Sato would be kind of like the, the studio or the production company. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's the director. Or no, he, he's the producer. And then uh, Cobb, yeah. Leo's is the, the director. And then uh, Tom Hardy's the actor. Hmm. And, you know, they're, they're, they're like... Each one kind of plays a specific piece. And again, it, it's a world building. You're making up new new worlds, new fantasies, all that kind of stuff. It is one of my favorite Tom Hardy roles. He's it's so, a great Tom Hardy he's role. He's so cool in it. <laughs> it's really cool. He pulls out the uh, the guns. Uh-huh. And you know, everyone else, no one else has them. And yeah, he's just great. Uh, that moves us to Interstellar. Yep. With starring Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, yeah. Michael Caine again. Michael Caine's in all of these. Jessica Chastain. Yep. Not Bryce Dallas Howard. Who can tell the difference? Matt Damon. Secretly, Briefly, yeah. That's Casey Affleck is Casey Affleck in this movie? Isn't he the brother? The old? You're right. He is. He's yeah. the brother, the farmer, or whatever. Yeah. I don't love this movie. No, and uh, well, it, it leads back to exactly what you're talking about. Whereas each one is based very much on the concept, um, and while Inception, I feel like was almost the high bar that you can get away with, and almost it, it, it. This movie is almost hindered by the fact that he held very closely to like real science, mm-hmm. and so he spends so much of this fucking movie expositing like the different physics fundamentals and rules and lots things about that, gravity I lots, lots lots about gravity and, and, and time, time and, and <laughs> to just to make the plot work and it, it's, it's it drags it down it drags it down and it's it's got a very kind of unsatisfying resolution and through thread where they kind of explain that love is like the uh, some kind of multi-dimensional force that transcends all the things it makes and, me want to throw up just thinking yeah about no it. it's not good like it's not a, like if that's where you end up in your writing room at that point you need to backtrack yeah that doesn't work so well i don't think the twist works very well no i don't think so either. um both with michael kane and with matt damon with both of them like yeah the, the just the, basically accepting humanity's dead mm-hmm. i get that i understand why that may be and why that choice was made but people like these kind of like grandiose sci-fi epics that deal with this plot, which is the earth is dying and we need to find somewhere new or whatever. And that's very prevalent in a lot of science fiction. They want to see it because people want hope that there's going to be an answer. And I get that the movie gives you that. Yeah. But the twist of the movie is 
there will be no answer and everyone's gonna die and we just have to accept it. And that's a very like dark twist to make that they don't really pull off very well by then also giving me that love is like the secret dimensional thing that connects the universe. And it just, it just feels like darts hitting random places on a dartboard. I don't think Matthew McConaughey is great in this movie. He's fine. You know, I, I think you're right. I think it's far too connected to the science. I feel like it's one of the weaker scripts from Christopher and Jonathan Nolan. Yep. Uh, I just, it's gorgeous. It's a very beautiful movie. I mean, the black hole is super cool looking and, when, when he's in the word, like, string theory time place, that's cool. I but, mean, the other thing about this movie is it's pulling a little too hard from 2001 in many ways. Oh, it wants to be 2001. There's a Hal character in yeah. it, I mean, which I like, the Hal character. I do, too. But, but yeah, the, that whole, the whole sequence in the, the black hole reminds yeah. me very much of, of 2001. One of the things we kind of overlooked in a lot of these movies, uh, uh, another common thread that's not really actually Christopher Nolan-related is uh, Hans Zimmer does most of his scores. Almost all of them, yeah. Um, and despite... despite Very lo- low brassy. Yeah, despite a, a lot of problems I have with Interstellar, I love the score to this oh, movie. Oh, it's great. With the, with the organ and everything, yeah. oh, phenomenal. To me, it's it's a sign of like overambition. Like, he had uh, ideas on what he wanted to do, and he thought he knew how far he could like reach the, the, the high concept thing and, and whatever, but I, just, I think by the time he executed it, you just realized... It was spread too thin. There wasn't enough yeah. substance there to to keep it afloat. I remember the the trailer for this movie, and this is a thing that Hans Zimmer does. He releases trailers like a year plus in advance. Yeah. And I remember the trailer just being like a you know ship taking off, and the narration in the background being exquisite. I want to be clear that that, that trailer again, despite having like one actual scene from the movie, a lot of his old space like yeah. uh, rocket footage. That's the most inspiring fucking thing I've ever seen in my he's life. He's like, oh, he's like him driving, and yes. there's like the rearview mirror yeah. shot, and there's yeah, like narration, and it's literally the most inspiring thing. Yeah, it's great about about like how humanity was born here, but it was never meant to die here. And yeah. oh, it's fucking great. I love it. Yeah, um, it leads us to his final film, or the most recent, year. yeah, most recent, uh, Dunkirk, which is actually one of my favorite Christopher Nolan. Movies. Agreed. All the performances are great. He does an excellent job. We recently talked about it on this podcast. While it's a realistic, you know, it's this a history is, film. This is the first film. one, I think, that, that yeah. of, of the ones. I mean, Prestige is loosely based on, you know, it's not. Yeah. It's, got, it's got Tesla in it. But, and, and clones. <laughs> but this is the first one that's based on an actual historical event. Yeah. it It's actually kind of terrifying. It's definitely terrifying. Um, he, you feel very cramped while watching it. It's very accurate. It feels very realistic, and it it only it kind of pulls away from some of Christopher Nolan's tropes, in my opinion. Some of uh, them. It just it, it not that it necessarily feels different, but it, it also kind of does to me. Uh, it was my favorite movie last year, mm. or at least the, the probably the most well made movie in my opinion last year, and uh, I I really like this film. I think all the cast is good. And, uh, what's the most important, the, the thing to me, and like we've talked about in most of these movies is, um, the concept is more, is bigger than the characters. Mm-hmm. And so watching this play out, these like raids on these people and they're, uh, you know, the ship sinking and these like just noble kind of like countrymen deciding they're going to go and try and help and rescue. Like all that's more important than necessarily the characters, like the event, or the place of Dunkirk and what happened there right. is more important than the individual characters. Cause I couldn't tell you like Tom Hardy's name, but that's exactly, that's actually one of the things I really like about this mm-hmm. movie um, is that 
I feel like the whole point of that, the whole point of the fact that they don't spend a lot of time on specific characters and specific characters' name is the whole point is that, like, any one of these guys could be any soldier and could be yes. any man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, the, the whole movie reeks of a kind of, like, hopelessness. They're trapped on a beach and they're trying to get off. And everywhere they turn, there's there's more danger. There's every way they try to escape and, it, you've, like, they, they can't escape and they can't stay. And, and you know, death is impending from all yeah. directions. And so, I mean... All the soldiers react differently. You get some of the nobility, you get some of the the fear and, and you know, like the anger and the turn on each other and, and a bunch of different things. But I feel like the whole point is any one of those guys in any circumstance could have been any one of the other guys or could yep. have been yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Harry Styles is in this movie. Harry Styles is good in this movie. Yes, he is. Um, Tom Hardy has shit on his face again. <laughs> yeah, but he's fine. He is fine. Uh, Mark Rylance is really good. Mark, yeah, one of one of the few Mark Rylance roles that I really enjoy. But but it, actually, you talk about breaking <coughs> from structure. The, the structure of this movie is actually kind of similar to Memento in this in the idea that you have three separate timelines going yes. on at any time, and they come together in kind of the climax of the film to to meet in the middle. Yeah, what I meant when I said that more was, and I should I, I should clarify this, a lot of his movies are realistic takes on fantastical ideas. Yeah. And this is not that. This is just a fairly realistic story because it actually happened. And, and he tries to make a very realistic, faithful adaptation. I mean, I would like to see more Christopher Nolan war movies if they were like that. And it was, it's very, very good. It's very, very good. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's recent, and I feel like a lot of people probably didn't get a chance to see this one. Yeah, I feel like it got ignored by It did a, a little bit. Um, Even by the Christopher Nolan fanboys. Yeah, but I, I, I also agree. I think it's it's one of his best. Yep. So yeah, no, that, that brings us to uh, the, the face-off. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll go first if okay. you'd like. No, go for it. Um, it's a kind of an easy choice for me just because I prefer a lot of their movies more. I'm yeah. going to say David Fincher is better than Christopher Nolan. But it is tough because they're basically a cut above the rest. And uh, their, their, their quality of movie is for both of them it's just so high like and i every movie they make i'm gonna go see i like that these guys make movies that have large wide audience appeals while also being i don't want to say like high art but being just really well made well acted well written films yeah um it just shows that you can make a blockbuster uh crowd pleaser movies that they're going to show for it that are well made yeah uh and some people take really easy way outs like i don't know michael bay and just make things that they think the audience is just going to enjoy and be entertained but you can do that and still make a good movie and so they're both very very capable at that i just have a more of appreciation for david fincher's work sure um, maybe it's because i've just grown up listening to people fangirl over christopher nolan mm-hmm. and me being like a you know a batman guy and be like this isn't batman like you don't you don't get to say you love batman because you love christian bale's batman yeah so maybe i'm a little bitter against him but I think I gotta go, David Fincher. How That's about you? fair. Well, you know, I, I realized as we were doing the discussion, this might be one of the problems of having two people instead of three. Uh, I'm gonna have to come down on on Christopher Nolan. Uh, oh snap! I know. Well, just just based on on strength of catalog, uh, you know, we we went through all of the David Fincher ones, and you know, even some of the ones we didn't touch on mm-hmm. that much. I think overall, they're they're stronger and and more polished movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really ambish, appreciate the ambition and the scope yeah. of of the Nolan movies. I, I think there's value in in all the stories. Like I think the, David Fincher tells specific stories that he tells in a way that only he can tell. Yes, them. Yes, for sure. But I think Christopher Nolan tries to tell stories that nobody else would even attempt to tell. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I mean we you know we we've talked about some of his his more recent stuff has not been as strong as some some of his 
earlier stuff. You know, the uh, Interstellar is not phenomenal. The Dark Knight Rises isn't phenomenal. But I just think, I mean, obviously we've talked about the fact that he's one of the few guys that you know by name. He's had a huge Mm. impact on the film industry as a whole. I really appreciate the fact that I feel like he's constantly trying to, to break new ground, you know, take cinema further than than it's been taken in the past one thing i will say about christopher nolan that he that does put a leg up over david fincher is that christopher nolan makes different kinds of movies yes he's made murder mystery movies he made a superhero movie he's made a you know a kind of like 18th century magic movie he made a war movie he's made a space movie like he's all over the place all of david fincher movies are morally questionable people in really shady situations (laughs) uh and they're they're very very good, and I still think I prefer David Fincher. But I can I, I understand, yeah. you know, that he found a niche and he sticks to it. Well, that that, that I mean, uh, both of these directors, you know, as we've gone through, we found found the common threads in all of mm-hmm. their in their films. So I mean, they they all lean on things that they're they know with. that they're yeah. comfortable with. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily count that against him. But uh, well, shit, how are we gonna decide? I guess we have to leave it up to hey, the we listener. should have a poll. We should have a poll. Yeah. It's going to be Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, cool. I, I really enjoyed that. These are yeah. these I, are good choices. These are good choices. And I, I, I had forgotten how much I like David Fincher. And I had forgotten how much I like some of the Nolan films that we, yeah. we don't talk about yeah, as much. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's the director showdown. Uh, please reach out to us, check our poll, and uh, see if we can break the tie. Yeah. We need an official winner. What have you been watching? Uh, what have I been watching? I finished My Hero Academia. Oh, good for you. You said you were going to do that. I did. I, it happened very quickly. It ended in a weird place. Is um, there going to be more? Yeah, there's going to be more. Yeah. They did just finish this season, so I mean, I've to wait like a whole year. Um, it's so funny to me because the show, you know, it, it, it's a world where 80% of people have superpowers. Yeah. It's a school of superpowered children. 70 to 80% of the movie feels like, not like low stakes, like the characters are really invested in it. Um, you know, like it, it's very important for them to, to overcome the next mm-hmm. challenge and become the best hero and whatever. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of like school events and, and it feels very like, I don't know, not, not like super low stakes, but not like life threatening. And then there will be like two or three episodes where, like, there will be villains involved, and then fucking the stakes are, like, way higher. There's, like... Yeah. So far, I don't remember if anybody's actually gotten murdered, but, like, it just gets... It gets so much darker when the villains get involved, which, I mean, makes sense, but it's it's just a really dramatic yeah, tonal yeah, shift, shift for the show. Yeah. That said, I still really like... I really like those episodes because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of contrasts. You know, they've been training, they're getting better, and then suddenly, like, oh, man, things are overwhelming, and things can get real bad if we fuck up. So it's 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 quite good. I I've I've really liked it. Thanks Zach for for recommending that. Um, I watched one episode of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. The animation's not phenomenal. Yeah, it's a little older. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I, I started watching that Netflix movie uh, Apostle. Oh yeah yeah yeah. With that guy you don't like. Yeah, with that guy I don't like, and I still don't like him. It's not bad. I I I haven't gotten to like the kind of the supernatural element. They've hinted at it, but they haven't like really delved into it what is his name dan stevens yep that dude really overacts with his face i think that's my problem yeah he's supposed to be like an infiltrator and like lying Mm -hmm. low yeah yeah yeah. but he constantly has the very apparent he constantly has the most suspicious look on his face in the the whole movie but uh i'm I'm gonna finish it out and see how it goes you know it's october what have you been watching what did i watch oh i watched the second half of big mouth season two and i like the second half more than i like the first half good just because it felt like the plot kind of picked up a little bit more. Yeah. Which I realize the plot is not the center point of that show, but I I, I like those characters and I like things to happen to them yeah. and I like seeing, you know, I like incorporating what the show is about 
with like a moving plot to go oh, no, along. I, I, th- I think the strength of the show is the characters. Yeah. I think that's why you, you get sucked in because you, you really start identifying with them. So For I, sure. Yeah. You, they do a really funny thing with Jay towards the end of the, sh- uh, the end of the second season. They do, they do a really, you know, we talked about last time they introduced the shame wizard, the, the how the kids interact with the shame wizard and, and, and learning that while shame and guilt aren't fun, you know, they're necessary. Uh, uh, that how they get to that conclusion is I think, funny and, and and done really well um i watched venom and yeah. it's it's really bad it is <laughs> it is worse than transformers uh it has some of the dumbest logic i've ever heard you know uh their justification in making venom a hero is is awful um tom hardy is really bad in it like Good. he's he's just he seems high you know like i mean he just seems like absent-minded the whole time he kind of does this mumble thing that he's like famous for and uh he's just, michelle williams is phoning it in hardcore riz ahmad i would be interested to see him in more villain roles like not that he's like great in it because he kind of overacts yeah, and it's yeah. cheesy but you could see the potential is there for him to be a good villain mm-hmm. the cgi is atrocious it looks atrocious um especially when riot and venom are fighting um, the Cletus Cassidy carnage tease at the end is real bad. Woody Harrelson is way over the top, which we'll probably get a second one. I want to see it for that reason alone. It's not great. I also read Chamber of Secrets this week. Good. Uh, continuing my Harry Potter. One and, a week, man. I like yep. it. The Chamber of Secrets, the older I get, the more I like it, surprisingly. It mm. wasn't one of my favorites, but now I'm really starting to enjoy it. And, the, and because the thing that Rowling does so well, and it's the reason why I still have hope for Fantastic Beasts is going to turn it around, and uh, is she's so good at including minor details that end up being much more important. You know, I was, I was just about to say that about Chamber of Secrets. There are so many things that just pop up at the oh end of that movie that, that are like, they are all deus ex machina kind of things, yeah. but they all like end up having history and end up having like important things that happen there's with a, them later. There's a scene in the book that is in the movie where um, Harry is sitting in Filch's office and he hears Filch walking down the hallway and he's talking to his cat, Mrs. Norris, and he says, I do miss that vanishing cabinet that we mm. used to have. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's a big part in uh, Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. And the fact that Dumbledore basically tells Harry that he's a horcrux at the end of the book and that the reason he's a parcel tongue is because Voldemort put part of himself right. in Harry. Um, I just like, it's it's so good. And I, I know in that book, it says that Dumbledore um, was teaching Transfiguration and in the, the trailer for Crimes of Grindelwald, it says he's teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts. I hope we get some like, I guess Dumbledore is capable of teaching more than one subject, but I would like to see some sort of like just minor dialogue that says at one point in these movies that shows how it connects with that history yeah. that she's already established. That's about it. I didn't watch much. I, I read a lot this week uh, or really the last few days. Um, I, I wanted to say this before uh, we leave, but I don't know if you saw that Attack on Titan is going on hiatus until April of next year. I did see that. <laughs> I thought of you immediately when I read it. I, I appreciate that, and that's sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was like, oh, I have time to get caught up. I was like, oh, but Joseph's caught up, and he's going to have to wait. Correct. So I'm that's sorry. That's fine. There's a, there's a lot of shows out right now. That's I'm, true. I'm doing okay. A lot more coming out soon, too, yeah. movie-wise. But so, cool beans, man. This cool is fun. Uh, so we're still kind of in a transition period for, for contacting, but thanks, everybody, for listening so far. Uh, please rate and subscribe and tell your friend about this show. Uh, we're, we're really hoping with the new format that the, uh, going back to, to earlier episodes is, is more accessible because mm-hmm. we were, we're just hitting the topics right off the bat. 
if you want to reach us, um, you can still reach us at email at Better Than Transformers. We will get a new email at some point. We are on Twitter at Real Phonies. We will put up a poll this week. Decide the victor. To decide the victor. Or we might just call Ian and see what he says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we still have a Facebook at BT Transformers. Um, Damn Facebook. I know, fucking Facebook. But yeah, thank you to uh, Brian Velasquez for a theme, and uh, Zach Evans is working with us on the art, so it doesn't have to be my shitty word art <laughs> that's up there right now. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Uh, yep. I guess we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.